Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for October 28th of 2018. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh from HockeyHits.com. This week on the podcast, we have the Penguins' Western Canada trip, uh, their flawless Western Canada trip, uh, where they took all six points for the first time uh, in quite a while. Even with some of their good teams, they haven't been able to... Uh, navigate the entire trip without dropping a shootout or an overtime loss or etc et uh, but they they won all three games got six points we might talk a little bit about some of the best lines in hockey so far to start the year and a little bit about tom wilson's appeal to the appeal jesus and uh poor poor austin matthews has got a bum shoulder again yeah the thing that's interesting about that canadian swing is that they won all four games because they beat toronto on the way across so um you can't blame them for not winning games on that in that west coast little area because you got to play back-to-backs at some point and you know back-to-backs with all that travel it's always going to do you in um but Calgary was an embarrassment, to be perfectly honest. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll, we, we'll, we'll get to all of it. Um, I suppose we we must have talked about the Toronto game already because that, that would have um, been a Saturday night game. Yeah, it probably was discussed, but it, it's one of those things where they did just go and school Canada, and for a team that, like, literally I just titled the podcast Should the Penguins Panic?, they just torched four games in a row. It's like, okay, that's how it's done. Yeah, that's uh, Edmonton, high-scoring high game. Um, Sid doing his thing uh, from beginning to end of this Western Canada trip. He, he left with seven points, uh, while Phil and Gino had six points apiece. They're in, uh, they're in rare form, those two, at the moment. Uh Gino and, and Kessel. They look fantastic together. Hagelin just sort of skates around out there and gets in the way of everybody else and just lets those two do what they need to do. <laughs> yeah, he, his speed can fill lanes and pressurize uh, other players maybe into mistakes. I know he hit the post uh, last night, mm. early on. Did that, that snipe from Gino, Hagelin's ability to, to get far enough in front of the puck to center drive created the space for Gino to have that shot. Yep. So when I do say he just skates around to get in the way, I do mean that in a positive light. Like there is a, an ability to do that and be in the right spot at the right time to do those things. And it is one of Patrick Hornquist's greatest skill sets as much as that player drives me nuts. Um, you know what? Two things that both those players do well. It would go against conventional thinking, but if Haglin was center driving, I might just let him go through. Yeah, yeah, you probably <laughs> take my chances <laughs> that he like bumble, bungles the pass, or you know doesn't make a nice move. Because letting Gino skate into the slot unabated <laughs> seems like a worse option. But that, it's it is one of those things with hockey is that everybody's so worried about what's going on around them. That you said you can, you can't. There is no coach in the league that will let you do that. No, it's 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 stupid. In it's logic, just... it's just like you're gonna let a guy go through. And the problem is Phil can find him, being that he well, he's talented passer and all. Yeah, I it suppose is funny, the I do situation remember... is don't put yourself in a situation where Phil gets a clean entry and it's a three-on-two. Yeah, there are probably a few things that roll along on all of that. Do we want to roll this back, even though that was my fault that got us all the way to the last game of the swing? Do you want to roll all the way back to the Edmonton game and the fun that was? Sure. That was a good game. It was it was one of those things where I was excited to get home and actually watch the game because you just make the assumption that a 6-5 game was up and down and, and it was. It was two teams trying to win and one team with the best player on the planet, but no depth. Yeah, Penguins bottom six should really step it up. 
uh, we're not going to have that conversation. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I, it's it's so tough for um, McDavid to, you know, hit his ceiling. I mean, he does a damn good job at trying. And McClellan's giving him all the time in the world to do it. What's he playing, 24 and a bit minutes? Yeah, 24 minutes a night. That's insane. I don't think Sid played any... What did he have the most? 21, one year? 22, maybe? 22 sounds about right, but that was in his... I mean, similar age to McDavid. But a little bit better surrounding cast, maybe. Although... Yeah. Maybe not. That 07-08 team sucked. Well, him and Gino dragged that team. And Flurry. That was... That was the year Flurry was amazing. Yes, that was the uh, contract year. Um, yeah, I suppose there comes a point where they're going to have to get Edmonton. Are going to have to get better at what they do. But I can't see anything in that management team that makes me think that they know what works in the current NHL. Yeah. Um... You know, uh, as far as the game, it's it's never good to let Alex Chason score two goals. No, this is a very good point. Like, that's almost 30% of his season total. Yeah, not great. Not great, Bob. <laughs> not great. And um, it wasn't very good uh, moment for Daniel Sprong. He got absolutely trucked in a corner. What was he thinking when he did that? Because he went in there straight-legged with no thought that he was going to get hit. I'm like, you're going in to try and collect the puck off the boards. Be ready for contact. The next minute you know he's on his ass and then trying to recover. Yeah, and I could never... um, I never found a clip that showed me the previous 10 seconds. Uh, because I do have some questions about why he's in the left defensive corner as a right winger. Clearly, they had some sorting out to do on a back check. Otherwise, I, I don't. I have no explanation for why he would be that far down low on the wrong side of the ice. So, you know, that's not a natural spot for him to be. So... Still, though, you, everyone knows you're heading to the corner or towards No, no, I, I'm not saying he, he no, played that. No, you're right. <clears throat> right. Yeah. But it looks really bad, even though, you know, a certain defenseman didn't help the cause on that sequence either. And Are we talking about the screen on the goalie to not be able to see the shot? Yeah, that or just not marking up. Yeah. It's ugly. It's it's one of those things. Pittsburgh are winning at the moment, but they really do have to try and reduce the amount of shots and the amount of high-danger shots they're giving up. Yeah, it's a tough conversation to have coming off of, you know, scoring six against Edmonton. Uh, Well, beating Toronto, scoring six on Edmonton, fucking lighting the flames up. (laughs) And, and, And convincingly... Getting out of a first period funk against Vancouver and five nothing. So yeah, it, was, it seems it was wrong good... to have too many criticisms, um, but it would be the big picture that I would be uh, focused on because in Vancouver, when Latang got uh, pinched in that corner with his leg out, and he had to go back to the locker room, I can't imagine too many people were calm and like oh okay that the, the, they'll be fine if he can't come back <laughs> considering the uh, light version of chris letang is already out for three quarters of the season it's uh yeah it was a little little bit panic stations it i suppose for me with this team you're in a situation where they have to have the puck to be successful and the fact that they're bleeding so many shots against this early in the year is concerning because they played some good teams, but Vancouver is not a good team. And it's the same culprits in the same spots that are doing the same things. 
So I don't know how they fix it. The the roster composition is what it is, and I don't know how you you fix it without moving assets. Can't fix it. Um, and I'll say what I've said the previous few years. You got to own who you are. Play that high event hockey, knowing that you have some of the best high end offensive players in the league, and hope that they do the high caliber things that they do. And and during this trip, they certainly did that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the way it should be. You should be doing it that way. Assuming you you, you... the goaltending's not just uh, terrible, and it wasn't. It was actually pretty no. good. Casey DeSmith reminds me of Fleury in a few aspects. He's much more active in net than Matt Murray, and um, I don't like him handling the puck. Oh, okay. <laughs> at, at all. But but DeSmith reminds me a lot of the way Fleury plays. He's very aggressive. Um, he's obviously not as long as Matt Murray, um, or at least appears that way when he's in the net, and um, slides out of position far more than you'd, you'd want a, a goalie to do. But... Got a shutout and, um, you know, did well in the first period for a team that was definitely flat on the second of, of back-to-backs and didn't look particularly interested in actually playing the game. And not to uh, undersell Murray, yeah, 9-1, but to keep it at that one number, and, and the only goal was a complete fluke. Oh, he, he had how to, pissed uh, would he have been with that? <laughs> Just so stupid that that it was, I think it was Neil. Yeah, it was. It, it's I not fair so. because that was a the weirdest went off something knuckleball floater coming from a guy that has. Uh, he's got one of the most impressive snapshots I've had a chance to see uh, really up close. Uh, the release on it's crazy, and um, it's. You know, you're expecting something different than what he got. So can't blame Murray for, for missing that one. Uh, but, you know, that one number could have been a lot higher. Flames did yeah. have chances throughout the game. And, you know, the goal support was they, they were going to win that game regardless. But um, for Murray, who had been struggling through the year since he's come back from his concussion, two out of the three games have been really solid um the edmonton game giving up five goals is is tough but so was the play in front of him <laughs> yeah i mean it's it there are situations there where that's pittsburgh having to own who they are to win that game i mean they had to keep pushing to score because they're not going to shut teams down it, they're going to rely on their goalies to give them those um those zero, one, and two goals against. They're not going to give Murray very many games where he only has 15 shots against. Yeah, and, um, you know, don't want to shift the focus on Murray when uh, Jack Johnson was on the ice for every goddamn goal. It was that bad. Right? Is that He's... He had a game where he was on the ice for five goals. That must have been the one. Well, it had to be. Sometimes all the there games is, blend together. <laughs> they do. There is a theme with this team. Every year, it doesn't matter who's general manager, it doesn't matter who's coach, there are players that this team acquires and then plays too often or puts in situations that they can't succeed. And then when you put them in situations they can't succeed, they're still not great anyway. And it doesn't matter whether it's Jack Johnson or whether it's Derek Pouliot in previous years um, or, or Craig Adams is another example or Matt Hunwick. Like you sit there and you wonder what they're thinking when they make some of these uh, personnel decisions. And then quite clearly the coaching staff think that Johnson can be what they want him to be because they keep putting him in the same situations and he keeps getting burnt. After that game, they sheltered him quite a bit but you know you're a Latang injury away from not being able to shelter anybody yeah, but you're you're a Latang injury away from this team not being great that's the reality of how important Latang is the um 
and I'll say this, like, I don't, I'm not putting too much stock into the plus minus or he's out for five goals because that doesn't always tell um, the whole story, the entire story. But, you know, I know I'm going to, it's just that he's eventually going to, well, he, he did score in um, Calgary. It was a nice shot too. Everybody did. Uh, <laughs> That game was actually spread out quite nicely with the scoring. I think only three guys didn't didn't get a point, which is pretty yeah. pretty pretty good for even with nine goals. Nobody had more than two points, I don't think. And it's usually rare in that situation because one of the superstars usually just goes nuts. You know, it's usually I mean? how you get to nine with the Penguins. Yeah, somebody has a hat trick and somebody else gets four assists or something like that, and you're like, yeah, well, that's what you expect. It's Pittsburgh. So it's you know he's he's at forty two percent possession. It feels like every freaking game. But he had a really good clean hit center ice. That was a good like hit. I thought it was that. a good hit. It was. It like was. he's gonna make good plays. They're just not gonna be as frequent as the bad ones. And I, su- I suppose people look at bad plays as in you look at Chris Letang, right? When Letang screws up, a lot of them at times are egregious because of the type of player he is and the volume of times the, the puck's on his stick. Jack Johnson doesn't make ginormous egregious plays. He just doesn't make the smart play often enough and it puts his teammates into bad spots. There have been breakouts where he's had time and still missed the outlet pass, which was something I thought he was supposed to be able to do. Um, his decision-making in regards to reversing the puck at times is, is suspect. And Pittsburgh runs their offense on flying the zone once we have control. So if you look at those kinds of turnovers, the gap control in regards to how far away the forwards are to the defense, it's blown. Like their whole breakout is blown from, from some of his decisions and it makes it tough on his partner because his partner doesn't know whether to go or whether to stay. So, you know, for those of you that are looking for Alexiak to, to make a jump this year or Oli Marta to be a little better, um, that won't happen if I would prefer either of those two to be paired with Chad Ruweddle and, that's not really fair on Ruedel, but you get the point that I'm making. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing, it's it's not like Jack Johnson can't skate at all, and he has a good frame. And then you'll see him actually, you know, skate the puck through the neutral zone, which um, that that's good. But he prematurely just dumps the puck, and he doesn't ever test to see if he's got a clean entry. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not yeah, saying there yeah. would automatically be a clean entry, but he'll never know because he gets rid of it. He doesn't think to take his time and space. There are and, times and a lot we... of times, it would. Sorry, it'll be a, no, no. A, you know, if the guy steps up, you can baby chip it behind him. So now the four checker doesn't have a defenseman who already has his momentum going back. It's it's like he. It's like he skate. He'll skate. It feels like he'll skate the puck up the ice, and dump it, and then change. It doesn't feel like he skates the puck up the ice at all when he's just at the start of a shift, which is counterintuitive to me because that theoretically should be when you, you're at your your peak at skating for that particular shift. So, it's it's odd. You know, one of my complaints with Hornquist is he dumps the puck willy nilly. He doesn't dump it for advantage. Um, it feels like Jack Johnson's a little bit the same. Dumps the puck for the sake of dumping the puck because it's the right play. It's it's the thing you've been taught since you were five years old. And it just seems very robotic at times. And, I mean, he's, he's quote about the, I don't need to see advanced stats to know whether I played good or bad, um, I, I think goes to show you what he's, the way he thinks hockey is. It's about the small things, the nitty-gritty stuff. It's not about you know, controlled plays and putting the puck in positions where your teammates can succeed. It's it's frustrating. I mean, look at that. Daniel Sprong got to play with talented players and he got an assist. Yeah. I, I would also say, you know, he doesn't need to... 
check his checkbook to know he's been swindled. <laughs> that, I mean, that's the same bullshit. The, <laughs> yeah, his stats suck. His, well, I don't want to make fun of his situation because that sucks. But I'm happy he got his contract for his personal life. Like, I have no problem with him signing that deal. Oh, absolutely. For him, so, best like, thing he could have done. Yep. That's great um, to get out of that financial trouble. Um, I really hate that it's on the team I cover. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, so, yeah, that joke was a little mean, but I said it. <laughs> Hasn't stopped us before. It won't stop us again. The... Uh... You had mentioned Hornquist. He's um, off off the goose egg like Crosby. Uh, both of them went on a little goal scoring streak. Nothing uh, nothing unique about Hornquist. Uh, net front, uh, awful looking goals. <laughs> they all you count know, the same. You're gonna get success out of Hornquist, but it ain't gonna be pretty. And to just highlight how bad Mike Smith was against the Flames, Hornquist scored on an on-the-rush wrist shot. What's going on there? Which was a terrible <laughs> shot, too. He didn't pick a corner. It like went off Smith's elbow or some shit like that. Uh, so, yeah, that's how Mike Smith's night was. Hornquist got him. Yeah, it's that's... Um... That's another one of those signings that you sit there and go, I understand the where they were coming from with it, but he was not going to be the solution. Oh, Mike Smith, yeah. Yeah. Goalies are tough. They're a tough case to... Like, look at Yaroslav Halak this year with Boston. Like, he's going to be keeping them afloat, and you'd think it would be Tuka, but it's not. Well, it's fair to... Th- say that it's been Tuca like every year since Tim Thomas. He's been one of the most consistently good goalies, but you're right. Halak is uh, having himself great, great start to his Boston tenure. It's the nature of the position. <clears throat> like you've always said, you don't, you don't throw your money around at goalies unless you have an out and out, you know, hall of famer style guy. You throw your money elsewhere in the on the roster. And, you know, that's probably where we go with the best lines conversation, really. Yeah. Damn, I'm going to blow your segue up. <gasps> I know. I was thinking the same segue, too. Uh, I wanted to say one last thing about Sprung that you had brought up. Yeah. And that was during Vancouver, because Broussard was out, they moved Sprung with Crosby for about four minutes, and he played 52 seconds with Gino, and that was when he had the tremendous uh, up high to down low across the ice backdoor play that Gino scored on. And he had they had seven shot attempts, four and zero against that shift, his one shift uh, with Malkin. And I do understand that, you know, Phil... Phil is there, and we will segue into the the best line talk that we were gonna <laughs> have. No, we don't need more. You, you destroyed my segue. No. Yep. Yeah, um, you gotta. It. Gee, like, what a shock that. Like, there's more time and space for him to make a play like that when the quality of teammate went up. And on the flip side, Hornquist, who had had a good run, um got moved to this hybrid uh, Sheehan-Cullen line, and he was a bad possession player. You didn't notice him at all. Anybody who's playing with Cullen is going to suffer. He should be the 13th forward. Zach Aston-Reese should not be in Wilkes-Barre to uh, accommodate Dad. Um... I wonder, your roster's never, when you hit the playoffs, your roster's never what it was at the start of the season. Um, and I know they got there and said they want Aston Reese to get his mojo back because he was playing a little scared, apparently. He fought in the um, preseason. Yeah, I know. Look, 
I'm just telling you what they said, all right? I'm not necessarily agreeing with what they said because they're morons. But you do have to hope that that point you made's going to be the case come the playoffs, is that Cullen's the 13th forward, no matter how many games of playoff hockey he's played, no matter how old he is and how good he is at face-offs. Riley Shane is, is just as good in, in the dot as, as Cullen and can do a little bit more. You know, I mean, you have Broussard who needs to stay healthy, which has always been one of the complaints people have had against him. But you, you got him to play third-line centre. You didn't get him to play on the wing and have Shane as your three and Cullen as your four. Either way, though, you've got to have a talent like Sprong with other talented players so he can have some more time and space to, to do some things. So, I, yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to say before we moved on because, you know, the, the common denominator is Cullen. He's not going to improve from his Minnesota year. He had a really bad year last year. He's he's shot. And there's no shame in 42-year-old player that lost his step. When he was 40, he was uh, serviceable still. 39, very good. That's amazing in this day and age with the younger league and the skating. But... Man, they they just went back to the well, and n- nothing about the evidence was there that made sense. I, th- I think what frustrates me about those type of deals, and the Jack Johnson one as well, and I'm sorry that I've brought this up before, and I'll probably bring it up again through the year, they have a really good stats guy. There is no way that he would have gone... He wouldn't have got there and gone, they're going to do this. Let's find some numbers that make them feel good about their decision. He would have thrown the numbers in front of them and said, this is what these two people are providing. Are you sure you want to do this? And they did it anyway. Like, that's the bit that I don't understand. It's, I suppose it's the thing that sort of drives me nuts about science and facts in general, is that you put them in front of people and they go, nah, that's not true. That's not real. I know better than what these numbers are showing. I've got a better feel for what's happening around me. And I think that's what drives me nuts when these particular sort of... It's the Hunwick thing as well. The exact same thing with Hunwick. You can see the facts in front of them, but they ignore them anyway. I don't know. I heard a dirty secret that Sam's war model is... Plus minus is the main factor. <laughs> True. All right, let's move along before I try... Might, and... might be a fraud. Before I try and slap Sam down and get him into trouble. <laughs> so, speaking of Sam, how about the best lines in hockey? <laughs> yes. Does that segue work? It'll do for me. All right. Um, so, Malkin and Kessel are playing great. We touched on Haglin uh, being that speed element that can... Much like Hornquist gets credit for opening up space, Haglund does it in a different way of driving people very, back with speed. Very and different way. Tough to argue with the results uh, the last few games. You got. It's uh, only because it's only because Phil's not being lazy. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant quote. Malkin's. <laughs> he's he's a funny guy. I enjoy his quotes when he gives them. Uh, the. Um, Malkin's 18 points is tied for second in the league. Oh, probably. It's up there anyway. And I saw a stat today. He's the first Penguin to record 18 points through the first nine games since uh, some Lemieux guy in 02-03. And I went back to just check, and this was, you know, during his comeback stretch which which particular comeback yeah exactly uh the when he was an old man he was 37 when he did that he ended up with 93 (laughs) points that year and that team sucked Uh, yeah that team was was terrible that was the pre-seed team right uh well 0304 is probably the worst just because mario was quote unquote hurt. <laughs> I think he saw the writing on the wall. He's like, yeah, fuck this. Yeah, I think I'm done. 
0203 was when they still had Struck and Kovalev, but traded him, I believe. Oh, those two boys are fun the, to watch. The, the post Yager fallout. Yeah, I. That's the thing. I don't think enough people appreciate Mario's thirty-five and older comeback years, and how ridiculously productive they were. Yeah, but you're you're like you said though. You're in that era where the team was just tracking in the wrong direction, and it's a little bit like the Sedins, I think. It was a little. It's a little better now than it was for for Mario, but the brilliance of what they were and, and what they did sort of got washed away because yeah. Vancouver became irrelevant. But the Sedins weren't putting up 93. No, I've, I've realized that, but it's it's your relevancy problem in regards to, you know, Pittsburgh are out of the playoffs so early in the year that you just get lost in the wash. The prime trap years it, with, with modern goaltending, and, and he, he just decides he's going to come back. <laughs> and he just destroyed yeah. the league. Uh, I think I that, that comeback years are what puts him above and beyond. Like, you say you can't compare eras, but when you you go through the 80s and put up 199 points, you you play the 90s and have the best season of all time, in my opinion, his cancer year of 92-93. And then you come back after the, the the millennium switches over and just crush it again. Like that's three significantly different decades. Yeah, and I know, I know I'm on a tangent, but whatever. No, yeah, it's fine. It's Gino's fault for being the. So being he, the, Gino's the, the first one since since Mario to do that, which surprises me. Sid hasn't ever had 18 through nine games. Honestly, that Sid. was the first thing I thought of. I I was because it's not goals, it's it's points, and even if Sid's yeah. off to not a great goal scoring start he's usually banking points you know you know what i think allows sid to have you know quote unquote a slow start to the year is that he never takes a game off right so when you get to those games between 35 and and 55 those that 20 game stretch in the middle of the year where <clears throat> excuse me everybody always talks about the grind of the season Sid is still, if he's not 100% Sid, he's still 90% Sid. Whereas Gino, occasionally, you have a look at him and you go, you are literally coasting in this game. He still might pick up a point. But I suppose that's the difference between Sid and pretty much every other player in the league. He doesn't take that doesn't take that night off. And that's where he just accumulates points. And particularly now that he's, what is he, 31 or 32? He just accumulates points that way. And that's how he's done it his entire year his entire career. So I think that's where, you know, Gina might get off to a flyer and he might finish the year on a flyer, but there are situations through the middle of the year where I don't blame players for this. They are human, where they just kind of coast. Sid doesn't do it. And I think that's where they end up balancing out their points. Yeah. But last year, Gino was the top point getter in that Hart, Art Ross conversation with a bunch of good players up there. It wasn't until the very end that McDavid pulled away from everybody. Well, he had to. All the, all, you know what I mean? That's all he had to play for. Right? So, yeah. you know, I don't think the Malkin line is the best line in hockey right now. Uh, I do think it's up there. But uh, So if it's, if it's not, which of the two do you think it is? Is it A and B as it goes down the alphabet, or is it the other way around? So I think we're both thinking of the the, the same two lines. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with the one in the West for right now. I think that I think the world of Nate McKinnon. He it took him a little bit longer than I thought to hit his next level, the level that I always kind of saw for him because i mean he's so fast his hands are great he he has great vision he does it all it was so wonderful to see him play on team north america because to that point it was kind of like 
man, we're, we're just kind of waiting for him to to do something. And you, you got a glimpse of it at, uh, for North America. And then the last two years, or last year and, and this year, he's 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 at that level. He he might not it's be good. at the Connor McDavid level, but he's he's in that next tier. Yeah. It's his emergence has probably helped the Avs in the sense that I didn't expect them to have the year they had last year. And not wasn't really expecting them to be able to hold it together again this year. But when you've got a line that is driving a team the way it is, it, it covers holes in the rest of the roster that are there. And um, probably saved a couple of people their jobs, really. Well, this isn't the Patrick Wasakic days of, you know, just gut feeling stuff. They they did hire. Don't tell me about Hart. Not only for hockey. I mean, mainly hockey. Uh, the Colorado group, I believe, that has a few teams in that area that he does work for. But you know, there's there's active hirings. Uh, Eric Parnas also with the Avalanche. They're making an effort to not be as stupid, obviously, and they have people um, in the room now that they did not before. So I do think you're going to start to see the roster get filled out in a more responsible way. Well, they'll need it because the division they're in is a tough division. You can't can't afford to be trying to win playoff games from fourth in the division. So, um, Miko Ratnan, he leads the NHL in points right now. He does. He was really good last year, and it, it appears that he's he's ready to rock and roll. <laughs> and Landis Cog has had good years in the past. He's had a weird trajectory to where he kind of tailed off for a number of years after a really hot start to his career where he was actually named their captain, even younger than when Sid was named Penguins captain. So I, I don't know if he still has the record, but he he did take the record for youngest captain. And um, he's he's having a great year to start. They're an and interesting. I, I'm just looking through the, the roster now for Colorado, and they're an interesting mix of players. Do you know what I mean? Like, if this team has any, uh, if this line has any form of drop off you just wonder where they're going to get their scoring from because no one else's shooting percentage, I suppose Soderbergh's is is pretty good, but no one else's shooting percentage is particularly fantastic. So they're going to need them to keep going. And I mean, that's what will make them, you know, like we're ranking them number one now. That's what's going to make them the best line in the the league for the year is their ability to carry carry the roster forward. Yeah, they're going to have to. There's not much there. There's there's work to be done. Um, Colin Wilson, okay player. Been around a while, though. Never was a, a premier player. I would always say a role kind of guy. But there's, you know, he's, he's a name that sticks out after that line. That's not good. No, that's right. I mean, it, you kind of feel like it's going to be that top line and then either of the two goalies that's going to do the work for them. And, I mean, Valamov's doing the work for them at the moment. Yeah, and Grubauer's certainly a capable goalie, as he's shown. So, it's um, it's really impressive that when you play... The Avalanche, you know, you gotta pour your resources into into stopping them, and nobody can do it yet. <laughs> and that's really impressive to me. Well, yeah, and that's that's exactly right. It's not like with with Pittsburgh that have got two quality lines, so you have to kind of <clears throat> excuse me, split your resources up. It is literally just we know these guys are the is the team. Let's try and knuckle them down, and they're still producing. 
Uh, it's something that I do forget at times when you, you play some of these teams um, and, and you watch them. You forget that the whole plan of, of the roster will be, let's just focus on these guys because that's all you have to worry about. And to a lesser extent out uh, east to, to the other line that we were thinking of, and that's Boston's top line, who just because I think the other line's uh, a little bit more on a hot streak right now, it doesn't take anything away from Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marshan. No, and I suppose the thing for me is you, you could have flipped a coin on this one and just go, it feels like that particular line does a little bit more in both ends of the ice because of Patrice Bergeron. That seems to be the difference, if that makes sense. And Marshan. True. He's no yeah, slouch. I, I, I like the uh, balance of talents better on the Boston line. And I think over the course of the entire year, if if both lines stay together, I, I would probably rather have the Boston one. Is that because of a, 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 a bias towards what has to be done on the playoffs to succeed? Or is it just you just know you need that to win? Um, I don't know if it's biased for the, for the playoffs. I think the trio of talent complements so, so well. Bergeron being play with literally anybody because he's awesome. (laughs) And Marshan, extremely physical, fast, great shot, or great goal scorer. And, you know, a smart player, a a stupid player too in a lot of ways. (laughs) But, you know, if if we're talking the, the actual hockey... Having that on the left wing, and then Pasternak is supremely talented, and when he works with other guys with a hockey IQ, he's a guy that can create space for himself as as evidence of that ridiculous goal he scored uh, last week or so. Do you Mm. know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you got guys that can create their own space, and have the wherewithal to also share that with their line mates and create for others. Whereas Vander Kane can create space for himself, but it's usually always to for his own shot. Yeah. No, so yeah. It, that line can play in transition, that line can play down low in a cycle fest and in it i guess you mentioned in a playoff like just grind it out i would take my i would i would no matter who or what style the game is the the boston line can do it i think that's the impressive part about them is that um they can change depending on what happens which is important because games are officiated differently you know if a game is ticky touch they can take advantage of that because of their speed, because players won't want to touch them. But then if there's nothing being called on the ice, they're strong enough and physical enough to, to work through work through those um, those hooks and holds and all that sort of stuff and and work down low to make sure they retain the puck and, and, and get a good possession out of out of the puck in the offensive zone. So they can do it, you know, always possible, which is which is I think one of the biggest compliments you can make in a sport that is often driven by style. Yeah, in, in different matchups. So, good for the Boston line. I, I want to give an honorable mention to uh, Nico Heeshear, Taylor Hall, and uh, Kyle Palmieri because that, that's that been a really great line for New Jersey. Well, they're driving. Taylor Hall being in being an MVP caliber player, uh, Palmieri being uh, on a hot streak as a good shooter, and uh, you going, you know, you got a number one overall pick who has quite the talent for drawing penalties, which you know is an extremely effective way to get time and space because if you keep drawing them, people are going to lay off. It's uh, it's what happens when you're quick and no one can keep up. <laughs> So I did want to mention 
uh, that devil's line. Uh, I know I've talked a lot of shit about the devils over the years on this podcast, but I'd like to give some uh, kudos where it's deserved. Sherry's definitely changed the way that team plays. They don't lose devils anymore. No, thank God. It's good mm-hmm. for everybody. Yeah, ha ha. Poor Islanders. Yeah. So, and actually, that's Pittsburgh's uh, Tuesday, Thursday. That's Are they back their, to back? Um, home, home. Yep. Right. So, let's see. Where do we want to go from here? Um. Let's just go. Let's go, Matthews. If we don't get to Wilson because I have to go to work, I'm okay with that. Oh, okay. I'll just say, fuck you and your appeal. And <laughs> I would be so incredibly pissed off as a union member if they were using time and resources for uh, the consistently incompetent at the expense of um, some uh, a, a fellow union member who has done nothing wrong and did it over and over again. Yeah. But the union's there for all. You can't pick and choose. You can't kick him out of the union. But it is one of the foibles of a union movement is you have to protect one and all, not just the ones that you like. Yeah, but but in a teacher's union, like, if I kept... Careful what, was, say, I, careful what you say. Careful what you say here. <laughs> no, I know. I'm trying to. Like, if I was consistently causing harm to other union members, like I would be held accountable. Absolutely. I, in the real world, that's not team sports. Absolutely. Like they wouldn't be looking. Like I would get representation. But shouldn't Sunquist get representation? Like, well, that's the uh, thing, though. This isn't, this isn't against Sunquist. This is against the league now. So it's where this is really weird. Like, I agree with everything you're saying. They shouldn't be appealing because he has learned no lessons. And the dribs and drabs that have come out over this in the sense that, you know, Paros warned him and warned him. And so that's why they went for the 20, because quite clearly the warnings weren't enough. You have to go to town on him. It's just, it's it's farcical, and you're right. The players should be frustrated and should be angry with the union. Um, and the fact that the uh, Washington media is stupid enough to try and make out that he's a great guy and he's really sympathetic, it, it's just garbage. It, it's garbage. You know, Washington like... seems to like doing a lot of this because, um, you know, they've, they kind of did a lot of puff pieces about the neo-Nazis a few months back. It seems to be a Washington theme. Yeah. Well, you get what I'm saying, though. Yeah, it's, you know, I, it's I'm just that shot, though. I every right to. I got no problem with that. It's just nuts that you know. Even the Pittsburgh media eventually said enough's enough with Matt Cook, and I mean they're as homerish as you can possibly get. So you have to you have to open your eyes up and get rid of the home the home colored glasses at some point with these particular issues and go, this is a general player safety idea. This isn't the league just picking on Tom Wilson because it's your team's player. It's because he is dangerous out there for, you know, he's fellow, fellow players on the ice. Yeah. So much, so much for not talking about it. All right. So Austin Matthews, Austin Matthews shoulder. Does it force the hand? Just a bummer. Yeah. You could tell right as soon as it happened and, the yep. hunching over that it was um, not a good situation uh, bums me out because I really enjoy. It's one of my favorite players. Uh, it it costs him potential at awards, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, if that thing's if that thing's popped forward and Tawny's rotator cuff or something like that, he could still play with it, but he's not going to be as effective. And if he has done it severely, it might be his year. And his physicality and grace is what makes him yeah, such a difficult, you know, in, in a weird, it's not quite Lemieux, but like when you, you get the size and hands and, and power 
Um, you know, it's kind of like a modern day mini version of it. He just doesn't quite have the same reach, but that's the six foot six Lemieux thing as opposed to anything wrong with Matthews. But all the other traits you, you described are on the money for the comparison's sake, but they're awfully thin all of a sudden. I mean, this is where the Tavares signing is, is magnificent for them. But you, you sort of read through, you know, those that watch Toronto closely and they're a little worried about the lack of depth down the middle now, which seems yeah, odd to Yeah, but me. you know what? Kadri's there. Yeah. Marlowe can play a little bit of center, if I recall correctly. Maybe not. I might be misremembering that. I thought back in the day he played a little bit of center. Yeah, I swear he was the second-line center there for a while until they didn't have to because they... Oh, I always get the wrong. Is it Pavelski or is it Couture? Which is the two of them that's... Or are they both me? I don't know. But I yes. think they have a lot of hybrids. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, I agree. It's It's... You know, when Sid goes down or Gino goes down, yeah, you get concerned about the center depth. It's still not terrible. No. Could be in a lot worse spot. Um, so it's something to keep keep an eye on. I mean, anytime one of the the game's biggest stars goes down, you get worried. You don't you don't like seeing that. You don't like not being able to. You know, Toronto is must-see TV for me for most nights that I'm able to watch. I just think they're very talented. And I will say this. Uh, we rip on NBC a lot. They did show Toronto and Winnipeg. Oh. Two Canadian teams. So okay. the bummer is Toronto played Winnipeg last night. And that means the two Toronto-Winnipeg games are in the rearview mirror. They're in the bag. They're done for the year now. That's a bummer. I mean, could we just cancel the rest of the Detroit Red Wing games against Toronto and put Winnipeg in there? Uh, there has to be a way to sort out this schedule where you get to play every team at least twice. Just for the... Well, they do. They do. Sorry, no, no, twice at home and twice away. So, I mean, you know, play four games rather than two games was where my brain was headed with that, worded poorly. Um, or at least three. Well, I don't yeah, know if fair. they can do four. And I'm not going to do the math right now. Well, no, you're Sunday night, so no, no math. No, no. so. Um, I don't know. You got to get to work. Yeah, I do. That's the thing that sucks on the Monday morning podcast, but what can you do? <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose I'll just close the podcast out by saying I was um, pretty pretty bummed out and, and sad to see what happened in Pittsburgh over the weekend at the synagogue. Uh, I, I don't live in Pittsburgh, but covering the team is, as long as... I have now the last five years and, you know, growing up a Penguins fan and always loved my travel hockey trips to Pittsburgh. It, that was that was tough to see, but um, unfortunately it's something that is probably going to eventually touch every community in America with the status quo. So, I, you know, it's, it's almost kind of like looking at your watch and it's like all right when's it gonna come it's and um, a day. yeah it's really sucks i'm not very happy with um where things are i think i outlined that on um <laughs> the hockey hurts article that that I wrote that had nothing to do with hockey <laughs> that's what the site's there for <laughs> so um I won't drown out the podcast with it, but let's just say I've had it up to here with assault rifles in the United States, and my opinion is on Hockey Hurts. Um, I think we can do better than thoughts and prayers. Um, I'm not saying that people don't mean well with all of that, but I definitely do not want to hear a politician 
throw out their bullshit thoughts and prayers and take money from the NRA. They, those people can go fuck themselves. And November 6th in the United States, uh, most regular citizens, uh, it's, it's your one time to have some action. And um, don't stay at home that day. If no, you're tired of what's going on, you um, you need to act on it. So, not this Tuesday, next Tuesday, go do that. I'm terrified because the gun lobbies are trying to get our gun laws relaxed over here. And, so, and I would say your your country has been a success story with all of that. Yeah, and that's why it terrifies me because we do not need. How heavy were the guns before the uh, they cracked down? Um, I mean, it couldn't possibly be as carried away as... No, it, it, it wasn't. I think the big thing for me when we went through that transition from people having shotguns and all that for, um, for um, feral animal control, pest control, and all those sorts of things, and, and hunting and shooting, when we had that massacre here... A conservative government, so a Republican-sided government here, for context's sake, which is nothing like the Republicans, but for context's sake, right of centre, got there and went, all right, let's do this, and they explained why, and they paid back money to the, the people that, that lost the particular guns that we wanted off out of the public's hands, and we just did it. We could see that it was really bad that these types of weapons were available, to have a, it was an automatic, automatic shotgun, I think, and he just blitzed twenty nine or thirty people in the space of a couple of minutes. So it, much smaller population, um, spread across a smaller landmass, so you don't get the segregation of opinions like you can through the states. But it seemed like a bit of a no brainer for us, and the fact that gun lobbies are coming into our country now and are using the. Uh, party that looks after the agricultural sector so farmers and all that sort of stuff and um shooters and all those sorts of things are trying to push a relaxing of our gun laws so that they can obviously make money off importing um, more expensive guns and what i would consider more dangerous guns no matter how well you look after them and how well you lock them up and stuff to relax those types of laws scares me just because the rhetoric in the world He's gotten more divisive, you know. For right got... or wrong, um, we usually set that tone. Oh, you do. You, you guys absolutely do. It's it's the way of the world. Like you guys are the you guys are the beacon of democracy and of freedom and all uh, that sort of stuff. Well. No, no, no. Sorry, <laughs> but that's the way it's pitched. Everywhere you go, that's the way it's pitched. So when the tone in your country changes, it changes everywhere. And, and that's just the cold, hard reality. Yep, and that's just the cold, hard reality of it. We've well, got guess more... what? What? We can change it again. I'm crossing my fingers that it does. The midterms. Because another two years of Republican-held House and Senate means that it's free reign. At least if there's one break somewhere in the, in the democratic system in your country, it might slow the process a little bit. But for I now, guess the... it's terrifying. The funniest thing for me is getting called names on Twitter, like libtard and all that other stuff. I, and and I don't I do not belong to a political party, which probably should to be able to vote in primaries. But you know, it's I don't look at it like sports teams. The politics like, is politics should be one down the middle. Not to the far left or to the far right. The, the best policy for the general population who you're supposed to be trying to look after is always down the middle. And and politics right now is splitting yeah, so far. You, you don't have to abandon your um, principles if you nope. happen to be a conservative or Republican right now. Um, but, but you should realize that um, the people representing that party right now are very bad people and are harming more than they're hurting. Yeah, but they're finally winning. They're finally getting what they want. They've got the tax cuts. They've got... This is the Yeah, thing. but that's not for the normal people that are buying into it. Those, those people aren't getting the money. 
No, it's but already they... the people that have the money that are. Yeah, so that's... they're not. They they talk trickle down economy, and, and it's just not. It doesn't. The trickle stopped. Happen. It's it's the, the reality now is the trickle doesn't work. They're trying to push the same thing here. That you know, if you can make things easier for those at the top, then the money will trickle down to the rest of us. We haven't had wages growth above inflation for the last five years. Doesn't affect me because of the type of job I do. But those people at the bottom end of the scale, they're the ones that get hurt. And, and it's like to have a better society where there's less crime and, and all those sorts of things, you need everybody to float up. You don't need people drowning below the poverty line. And, and the economy, according to you know economic rationalists, is supposed to drag everybody up. And whatever happened in the mid-2000s has stopped that from happening. And no one's been able to work out why whether it's just flat out greed or whether there's something broken in that economic concept, I don't know. But in, until it sorts itself out, governments are designed to bring those that are terribly off up out of that situation. And I don't think governments across the world at the moment are getting that opportunity. You mentioned the word job. How about this for a segue? Yeah. <laughs> go, 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 go to yours. <laughs> oh shit yeah good point <laughs> i'm literally putting my shoes and i'm trying to finish getting dressed <laughs> to get to my job yeah sorry guys <laughs> you know where we are <laughs> see you next week <laughs>